Well, 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 that's good. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles today, uh, this Christmas Sunday, and turn over to the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 today. Again, we're right on Christmas. I mean, it's just a couple of days away. We'll be having a Christmas Eve service here. We're going to do something a little bit different this year. It's going to be kind of unique. We're going to have some candles here and kind of doing some kind of candlelight thing. It'll be a little bit different than normal. Just uh, uh, bring a little something special to this uh, season, to this great event, and as we celebrate the birth of Christ. And so uh, our service will begin at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, and it will be... Um, well, did we change that time? Did we by chance change that time? You said so it's 7, huh? Tell you what, let's make it 6. Make it 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock this, this Tuesday. All right, you're here, okay? We're all here. So I'm changing it as of now. Earshot, 6 o'clock Wednesday. We want to do it a little earlier on Tuesday so that we can get back to our homes and spend some time with family and things that evening. Let's make it 6 o'clock, okay? And if that messed you up, I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm just thinking about everyone else, and I hope that we can all agree that we want to spend as much time as we can with our families that evening too. So if you're able to make it at 6 o'clock, that'll be better for us. Write that down and remind me. <clears throat> I'll forget, I'm telling you. I'll be sitting there going, what's everybody here for? <laughs> what are they doing? It doesn't start till 7. And Brother Cameron will go, preacher, you changed it. So we'll try to remember to announce that again tonight just to remind. But if you know of anybody that's planning on being here uh, uh, Tuesday night, Tuesday night, new, instead of Wednesday, remember, instead of Wednesday, Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, we'll meet here. <clears throat> All right, well, we're going to do that. Okay, um, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Not after Christ. Boy, we live in a world that has changed its opinion and its attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ and even toward Christmas and all the things that we do here. Let's face it, it wasn't that long ago that um, everyone recognized and understood that Christ was the reason for the season. And that's not the case anymore. And uh, unfortunately, they're trying to take Merry Christmas out of our culture and our society. Uh, you know, you'll notice businesses won't allow their employees to say Merry Christmas unless someone says it to them. And, uh, you know, they're trying to enforce their uh, will on, uh, boy, we're getting a little bit of a ring there, our will on, some th uh, on, on our culture, on, on, on society. And, and I, I just, I'm, I'm a Christmas person. I like Christmas. I enjoy it, and uh, it's a good time. And uh, I, I don't appreciate the fact that we've removed or tried to remove Christ. We know what it's about, but the truth is we want the world to know. And uh, as we started our series here, we started a series that I entitled, You Can Believe Too. You Can Believe Too. And over the last couple of weeks, we noted a couple of ways that we can believe. We said, first of all, the Word of God proves Christ's existence. And we said there is no better tool, there's no better source or resource uh, to uh, reinforce the existence of a historical as well as biblical Christ. And then we said the writers prove Christ's existence. And we went ahead last week and we noted how different writers of old, they were secular historians, wrote about this Jesus who lived 
thousands of years ago, and they have nothing to gain by it. They are not even Christian, but they wrote about it historically, and therefore we know that Christ did indeed live in that day. Someone says, well, did he rise again? Well, some of the writers even implied uh, and, and, and stated that, yes, they, 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 the people that followed him said he did, and they followed him to death. And it was amazing as we read through some of these writers and how just their testimony of their historical record seemed to just bring life to Jesus, not just in the Bible, but historically. Now, today, we want to finish up our series. We're going to look at this thought. We're going to consider the witness proves Christ's existence. The witness proves Christ's existence. Now, in Acts chapter 4... Um, Acts chapter 4 records the first persecution that took place really in the Bible um, as far as uh, the, the apostles and the, the men and women of Christ. And uh, we, we run smack dab into a character that all of us are well aware of. His name is Peter. And Peter had gone fishing uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ died after his crucifixion. And, uh, of course, he doubted the fact of the resurrection at first. We always like to get on Thomas, but the reality is, is that Jesus Christ uh, had a many followers, all of them, that did not believe that he was going to rise again. They were all as surprised as Thomas was to some degree or another, although he gets the title Doubting Thomas. The, the fact is, is that they were all doubting at one point, and now we find this Peter in chapter 4 of the book of Acts enduring persecution on behalf of Jesus Christ. A man who after the death of Jesus went fishing. A man who after the death of Jesus doubted whether or not he would even rise again. But here we have him just some years later, very few short time later, being persecuted on behalf of Jesus Christ and enduring the suffering and the pain that comes along with it. These men, these apostles, these disciples, if you will, were not merely bystanders, but they were boldly proclaiming the cause of Christ and the resurrection. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Man, I mean to tell you, there was something special about these men there was something unique about their persona, their countenance, and even their courage. They preached the gospel and they taught Jesus Christ and they shared the resurrection with people with a great boldness, the Bible says. And as a result of that, they said, these are ignorant and unlearned men. These men here have no real formal training as such, and yet listen to how boldly they proclaim this truth about Jesus Christ and His resurrection not only did the early church live for this Jesus, but the early church would ultimately die for him. The apostles would give their lives on behalf of Christ. I don't know about you, but, uh, and again, I know people do it even today. But these men, not just one or two or three, but virtually all of the disciples, with the exception of John himself, literally gave their lives for Christ. I, I personally would have a hard time dying for something or someone that I didn't believe in. And yet these men all gave their lives, not just one or two or four or five, but everyone except for John. And not because they didn't try to kill John, but because after throwing him in boiling oil, God miraculously delivered him. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified in Edessa. Bartholomew was beaten and then crucified in India. James the Great, older brother of John, was beheaded in 44 AD in Judea. James the Less was beaten, stoned, and then clubbed to death at the age of 94 in Jerusalem. 
Jude, brother of James, was crucified in 72 AD in Edessa. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria. Matthew was killed with a weapon that had a blade and spike in 60 AD. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded in Jerusalem. Paul, he himself was beheaded and stoned in Rome. Peter was crucified, head down, by request, as unworthy to die the same as Jesus did. Philip was scourged, imprisoned, and then crucified in 54 A.D. in Heliopolis. Simon was crucified in 74 A.D. in Britain. Stephen was stoned to death in 34 A.D. in Jerusalem. Thomas was thrust through a, uh, with a spear in India. According to the writer Clemens, Alexandrinus, he claims that as James the Great was led to his death, his accuser was so moved by his courage and faith. He claims that he fell on his feet, uh, to his feet, uh, fell at his feet, excuse me, and accepted Christ himself. And then the man turned around and said, if you don't pardon him, then kill me with him. And they did. They killed them both. But he was so taken by the, 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 the courage and by the faith that this man expe- expressed and exhibited. This is not a faith of someone that merely has an intellectual belief. This is a man that believes something, that believes it so deeply that he's willing to die for it and die gladly for it. John, the brother of James the Great, was the only apostle, as we said, that escaped death as a result of his faith. And, of course, we know that he was ultimately exiled to Patmos, where there we have the book of Revelation. So these men, early on, following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, laid down their lives for their faith and their belief in him. Now, I want to approach the subject again. The witness, the witness proves, proves, you know, the reality of Jesus Christ. I want to approach it from three perspectives. Number one, I want to talk about the witness of death and then the witness of dedication and the witness of delight. And I want to talk about those very briefly. We're going to take just a few minutes and then we're going to close today. But we're so glad that you're here today. And I trust before you leave, you'll be glad to be here too. Let's learn something from his word. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the time that we have together here in this place. Be glorified in everything that's said and done today. Lord, may you hold my tongue where it needs to be held. And Father, may you put in my mouth the words that you'd lather, that I'd, I'd say. Fill me with your spirit. And Father, if there be even one here that is lost without Jesus Christ, that does not know for sure heaven's their home, may they settle that today before it's eternally too late. And may you be with each of us that do have a faith in Christ. May our faith be strengthened. May we be even more, Father, con- con- convinced and more courageous as a result. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we think about, once again, the, the, the witness proves Christ's existence, we think about the witness of death. We've already talked about the apostles themselves. And one would say, well, of course the apostles would lay down their lives. Why wouldn't they? They traveled with him. They lived with him. They knew him personally. And they were deceived by him. And one may come to that conclusion. But if you take your Bible, turn, if you would, over to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, This particular passage addresses not just that day, not just that time, but it'll cover many, many years of history. Again, the Bible is the greatest history book that we have on earth. Contrary to what people would say, it is historically accurate, and it has been proven historically accurate over and over again, even by secular historians. It's amazing how we try to discredit the Word of God, but in reality, it is the Word of God. 
And it is right. It's truth, the Bible says. Look at Hebrews 11. Again, we're going to get a historical perspective here from the Word of God. He says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36, a passage in chapter 11 that's called the often the, the uh, Christian Hall of Fame. Verse 36 begins, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves and of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, I want you to notice, again, before it ends, he's saying, listen, there were men and women that lived through their lives, and they, they, didn't, they, they were mistreated, they were maligned, they were ultimately even lost their lives, I should say, for the, for the cause of Christ and for the Word of God. Again, throughout history, we have watched as men and women have yielded, submitted, surrendered themselves to men and women who did not believe in Christ, and they gave their very lives even. Why? Because they believed so strongly, so convincingly in a Jesus that existed so many years ago who died and rose again the third day. It wasn't just the apostles, but it was men and women through history. For thousands of years now, people have been laying down their life. On March the 7th, 1526, the Zurich Council had passed an edict that made adult rebaptism punishable by drowning. On the 5th of January, 1527, Felix Mann became the first casualty of that particular edict. He, he ultimately was bound hand and foot and taken to a lake where he would ultimately be thrown into the water. Man stated that he wished to bring together those who were willing to accept Christ, obey the word, and follow in his footsteps, to unite with these by baptism and to leave the rest in their present conviction. He said, listen, I'm not here to pick a fight with anybody, but what I do want to do is follow the word of God. I want to obey the word of God. And they said, no, that's not going to fly. You're not going to rebaptize anybody because we don't agree with it. But that was biblical. When you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you put your personal faith in Him, you get baptized. That's the way it is. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter if you was baptized as an infant. doesn't matter if you was baptized as a child of any age. If you come to Christ, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you understand at that moment that I need Him to save me, forgive me, and take me to heaven, and you trust Him, then you immediately need to be baptized in obedience to the Word of God. This particular man by the name of man said, yes, that's exactly what I believe. That's what I practice. And that's all I want to do is obey God. I have no bone to pick with anybody. I have no fight to, ha- to, to be in. I just want to obey God. But that wasn't good enough. And so they got together and they decided, nope, it's not going to work. And they gave him an opportunity. The council accused him of obstinately refusing to recede from his error and caprice. And at 3 p.m. he was led from the... Wellenberg to a boat. He praised God and he preached to the people. A reformed minister went along with him, seeking to silence him and hoping to give him an opportunity to recant. Mance's brother and his mother encouraged him to stand firm and suffer the, for Jesus' sake. Can you imagine his mama saying, Honey, don't give in. Honey, don't you quit. Honey, don't you allow them to cause you to recant. You stay firm in your faith. Don't you give in now. You die for Jesus. A mother and a brother. Mance's brother and mother again encouraged him to stand, and sure enough, he did. 
He was taken by boat to the river Lamont. His hands were bound and pulled behind his knees, and a pole was placed between them. And there he was executed by drowning as they pushed him over the side. Into the waters he went. His last words were, Into thy hands, O God, I commend my spirit. His property was confiscated by the government of Zurich, and he was buried in the St. Jacob Cemetery. At least they did drag him out of the river. Listen, this man believed so strongly that he willingly gave up this life and he gave up all his possessions and he put his family in a position where they would have to trust God. We need only take a quick read over the book uh, of Fox's book of martyrs to catch a glimpse of the enormous cruelties that were perpetuated against the faithful men and women of God. Think about this as you read through a book like that that annotates and, and, and historically notes what they suffered and what they endured. It'll tell you and show you that they were hanged They were killed by stifling and roasting and stabbing, frying, racking, ravishing, ripping open, breaking the bones, rasping off the flesh, tearing with wild horses. They were drowned. They were strangled. They were burned. They were boiled. They were crucified. They were poisoned. And then they had their their tongues cut out, their noses cut off, their ears cut off, different limbs cut off. I mean, they did all of these things, hacked them into pieces and filleted them alive for their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet they stood... And yet they would not give in because of a Jesus that literally lived 2,000 years ago. I wouldn't die for some concocted Christ. 1,500 years after he supposedly died, was buried and rose again, men and women are still dying for him. The witness of death. The witness of death. Not only did they die, but they lived for him. We have the witness of dedication. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here in this particular passage, a familiar passage uh, when it comes to dedication, but notice it says here, I beseech you therefore, brethren, chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, here we have in the passage that we're being encouraged and we're being exhorted to present ourselves, our bodies, a living sacrifice. To literally step up to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, reporting for duty, sir. And that's exactly what he's saying to do. I'm reporting for duty, sir. I'm reporting for duty, sir. I'm presenting myself to you. It's my reasonable service. I think of the Apostle Paul. And I consider what he endured, the level of dedication this man must have had. Take your Bible again. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice what the Bible says he endured. We're talking about dedication. Not only were those alive that were willing to die for him, but there were those that were willing to live for him, dedicated to the cause of Christ. Notice what it says about the Apostle Paul himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. And they ministers of Christ, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I'm more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prison, more frequent. In death, off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. What he's saying is five times I was whipped, minus one 
from 40. So that's 39 times he was lashed five times. Can you imagine? They claim that the 40th whip kills a man. After you've been whipped 40 times, it's unto death. They just kept him just barely alive. Five times was he whipped. Notice he goes on to say, 25, verse 25, Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils in waters, in perils in robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, perils meaning troubles and trials and problems, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, Besides all those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Well, you talk about a dedicated man of God. You talk about somebody that endured grief, suffering, sorrow, heartache. The Apostle Paul is a perfect picture of a dedicated believer of Jesus Christ outside of Christ himself. No greater Christian probably ever graced the face of the earth. And yet here we have this example, this testimony of what was endured by a man who was dedicated. May I say through the years, through the centuries, and through the eons of time, there have been men and women that were dedicated unto Christ, that lived their lives, that gave themselves wholly to Him. All throughout history, not just a hundred years after the death and resurrection, not just two hundred years after the death and resurrection, not just five hundred or a thousand years after the death and resurrection, but even today there are men and women so dedicated to Christ that they're literally laid down their lives and they're dedicated to the cause of Christ to the very harm of themselves dedicated dedicated John Patton was a man who was willing to face danger a missionary on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ a missionary to the new hybrids uh, islands and these islands were inhabited by savage cannibals in fact the first two missionaries that set foot on One of these islands was clubbed to death and eaten. They were clubbed to death and eaten. Before John left for these islands, an old man tried to hinder him and stop him from going. The old man said to him, Hey, listen, Patton, the cannibals will... The cannibals, think about the cannibals for a minute. You're going to be eaten by cannibals. And that was the argument that he kept using. Finally, one day, John Patton answered him and said, Mr. Dixon... You're advanced in years now. You like how he said that? You're advanced in years now. Very wise young man. You're advanced in years now, and your body will soon be laid in the grave and be eaten by worms. If I could live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it'll make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. Isn't that something? It'll make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. Dedicated dedicated to the cause of Christ. No matter what the cost, dedicated. We see the dedication of men and women through history. Once again, it just reinforces and proves to us the existence of Christ that He's never lost momentum. This thing called the Christian life continues throughout history, even at the expense of lives and comforts. Finally, the witness of delight. The witness of delight. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. We sing a little chorus that says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Let me tell you something. If you have no joy in the Lord, you have no strength in the Christian life. And yet let me tell you one of the great proofs that Jesus Christ was not just a biblical figure, but a historical figure, is that indeed people through history, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the overwhelming difficulties they faced, they could be found with joy. Joy in the Lord. A Lord that is real enough to give them hope in the darkness. A New Testament filled with examples of men and women who found great delight in the Lord is what we hold in our hands. Amidst horrible circumstances. The Bible records a very telling bit of information in Acts chapter 5. After the disciples had been beaten and abused, we read this in chapter 5 verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. For his name. Can you imagine? <laughs> they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow. Amazing. I wonder how many, and, and, and I would never even, I would never even be foolish enough to ask for a raise of hands because I don't know that I could raise my hand until the day comes. I have to be proven in the midst of fire. But, I mean, I wonder how many of us would be willing to lose our homes, possibly our families, maybe even our lives, for this Jesus we say we believe in. That's the Jesus that is proven through history. He exists and He is alive. Whether we understand that or not, whether we embrace His reality or not, there have been men and women throughout history, even to our day, that have been willing to sacrifice all of those things and much more on his behalf. And yet, sacrifice with joy. See, the hope of every, uh, of every believer is, is, is the hope of an ever-present father. One that is with us always. And the hope of a future home. And the hope of a future inheritance that enables us as believers to rejoice. Even in the midst of the most difficult things. 2 Corinthians 6.10. Turn there if you would, please. It's so good. Let's just turn there as we share just a couple of testimonies and then we're going to move on, but even close. But notice it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. The apostle writing to the church at Corinth states, chapter 6, verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. That's exactly, as you read through Fox's Book of Martyrs, as you read through the history of believers through the centuries and through the millenniums, you realize and recognize very quickly that they held on to something that was far greater than just earthly possessions. They believed in an ever-present Father that was there for them. 
They believed in an inheritance that was being reserved for them in heaven. That there was more to live for than just today. The delight that a believer has in Christ in the midst of the hurt and heartache is often one of the greatest proofs that Jesus Christ is real. I like the story of Billy Bray. He was a man of great sin and tremendous blasphemy prior to being saved. He was a drunkard, really, of the worst kind. Uh, He was a miner who left his job. He left his home to live in basically an alehouse, they would call them in those days. He was simply a drunkard. And one night, about three in the morning, Billy Bray woke up. He jumped out of bed. He fell on his knees, and he cried for mercy from the Lord. He later described that experience, and he said this, quote, I said to the Lord, Thou hast said, They that ask receive, they that seek shall find, and to them that knock, the door shall be opened. And I have faith to believe it. In an instant, the Lord made me so happy that I could not express what I felt. I shouted for joy. I praised God with my whole heart for what He had done for a poor sinner like me. For I could say, The Lord hath pardoned all my sins. His friends, they vowed to get him back the next payday, of course, thinking that old Billy would show up again in the alehouse, that he had once again asked for another beer, that he would drink a little more alcohol, that he'd go right back to what he had been before. But 40 years later, he was still sober. Billy himself said, quote, Praise the Lord. It's now more than 40 years and they've not got me yet. They said I was a madman, but they meant I was a glad man. And glory be to God. I've been glad ever since. Even after receiving the news of his soon death, he said, glory to God, glory to God, I shall soon be in heaven. He then turned to the doctor and he said, when I get up there, shall I give them your compliments, doctor, and tell them you're coming too? (laughs) Hey, this, in the midst of death even, he had joy in his heart. He could rejoice. Because he believed in a real Savior. And when we as Christians continue to live our lives and show great rejoicing and great joy in the midst of our hurts, our heartaches, our difficult times, it is one of the greatest proofs of all that Jesus Christ himself is not just some biblical character, but a historical character. And he lives in my heart today. Fanny Crosby was born in Putnam County, New York. And she became ill within two months. Unfortunately, the family doctor was away and another man, pretending to be a certified doctor, treated her. He treated her by prescribing hot mustard uh, poultries, poultices to be applied to her eyes, put hot mustard packs on her eyes. Her illness eventually relented. She finally gave up. It finally broke, but the treatment left her blind. When the doctor was revealed to be a quack, he simply disappeared. No one heard or seen him any longer. A few months later, Fanny Crosby's father died. His mother was forced to find work as a maid to support the family. And Fanny Crosby was pretty much raised by her Christian grandmother. Although she was born in deep poverty, lost her sight at six weeks old, and her father at the age of, of, of one had, had died, her age at one, and received no formal education until she was 15 years old, in spite of all of that, God used Fanny Crosby. Why? Because she was willing to be used of God. She lived happily, heartily, humbly, 
unto the Lord. Crosby, Fanny Crosby, was never bitter about her disability. At the age of eight, she wrote these verses about her condition. Eight years old, listen to this. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. She later remarked, It seemed intended by the, blessing providence, uh, by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I'd not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She also once said, When I get to heaven... The first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Over 8,000 of her poems were set to music. 100,000, no, 100 million copies of her songs were printed. You've heard them. Songs like, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, A Shelter in the Time of Storm, Blessed Assurance, Near the Cross, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Rescue the perishing and praise Him, praise Him. Songs like that are songs that Fanny Crosby wrote. Fanny Crosby, in spite of all the obstacles, exhibited the joy of the Lord. She delighted in Jesus Christ. 1,900 years after his death and resurrection, he was real enough to a blind little girl to give her joy. The witness proves Christ's existence. The witness in death. The witness in devotion. The witness in delight. This morning I contend with you and as we face Christmas this Wednesday, as we enter into it with our families, may we not forget about a literal Christ who lived, died, was buried, and rose again the third day. May not take for granted the sacrifice that He made on our behalf. May we not forget the, the reason for our gathering. And may we as a nation not allow anyone or anything to get us off course. And we make up our minds, at least as believers, that Merry Christmas is still okay. And to take Christ out of it is not what we ought to be doing. I want to encourage you today. I don't know if you've ever met this Jesus. But may I say that Jesus Christ did indeed live 2,000 years ago. He walked the face of this earth. He traveled of dusty Galilee, bearing a cross that he would ultimately be hung on. There he suffered, bled and died to pay for your sin and mine. If you've never received and accepted Christ, you need to do so today. You need to say, Lord, I know I'm that sinner that you died for. I believe that you died for me. Right now I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior. You need to say something of that nature. In just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to respond to this message. And 
to say, you know, I don't have it settled and I want to make sure I do it right and I want to know from the Word of God what I need to do to get that settled and to have Christ as my Savior and to know heaven's my home. Just a moment, the music will play and give you a chance to come forward and see me at the front and we'll have someone take a Bible and show you how you can know. Not based on what a church believes, based on what the Word of God says and what God's Word teaches. Because really, in reality, it doesn't matter what we believe matters is what he says. In the end, you have to believe what he says, but just because I believe something doesn't make it right. What he says makes it right. It's his word. My opinion, nothing. His, everything. May we respond to him. And as believers, may we rededicate ourselves, even as men and women have through the years, through the centuries, to live for Christ and to die for him even, if necessary but to not give up or give in, but to be faithful to our Savior. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time we've had together. May you bless us now and encourage us in this moment of invitation. Be glorified in it. Lord, we're asking you to meet with us here, not just as the, in the message now, but in our personal lives, our own hearts. Help us, Lord. Be real to us in this moment, we pray. We'll thank you in Christ's name.